0: What should we expect when expecting robots? I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Dr. Julie A. Shaw, author, associate professor of aeronautics and astronautics, and leader of the Interactive Robotics Group of the Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory at MIT. Welcome, Dr. Shaw. Thank you so much for having me. You just co-authored a new book titled what to Expect When You're Expecting Robots. Great book name, by the way. What what motivated you and your co-author to write this book?
1: Well, um, in terms of you know my, my day job, I'm a professor at MIT um, and I'm an AI researcher and a roboticist. And um, I, I work on trying to make robots into better teammates, reverse engineering the human mind to make robots that understand people better and are better able to collaborate with us. Um, And I've spent many years um, developing and and deploying robots that for example, work alongside people in factories to help build planes and build cars. Um, And um, I I, I am faculty in the aerospace department and I I would just say is a little bit of a different tack than the traditional roboticist. also have uh, you know, a great appreciation and a background in, in human factors to um, understand how you, know, you're, you're, you will only get so far if you, your goal, your end goal is to make a more independently capable robot or capable um, system uh, and that we really need to develop these systems kind of in concert, make them more capable, but make us more capable of collaborating with them and really think about how we adapt society. We need to change our norms so that these systems can can really integrate and provide value to us. Uh, And so, uh, you know, many years of thinking deeply about what it takes to make systems that sort of like fit tightly with people uh, to collaborate in factories. And now um, my co-author Laura Major, and I are passionate about taking those insights and beginning a discussion of um, how we really need to re-envision society so these systems can break out of the factories, break out of these sort of more specialized environments, and be more useful to us in our everyday lives.
0: So regarding robots of the near future, you wrote the following, whether they make our lives better or worse comes down to whether they know
1: how to behave.
0: How should robots behave and and how will they learn this?
1: yeah so um you know any any one robot it's okay if it's clumsy right if it's a little clumsy or we have to you know really change the way we think about the system or how we interact with them so think about like your Roomba in your house it's a beautiful robot it's so beautifully designed it's simple it does exactly what you need it to do but it it kind of bounces around it'll you know knock into your foot um doesn't really sort of see your home or your world and and that's okay if it's one of them Um, But now, you know, imagine a world in which you're surrounded by these systems in your home as you try to make your way to work, uh, walking down the street at a crosswalk um, in your in your office Um, at scale things small frictions at scale can cause very big problems. Uh, and that's why it's really critical that we get this right. We think about it now when these systems are small numbers and we, um, we, we build a path to ease their introduction in society and also think about sort of the disparate impacts or the disparate benefits that, that we'll gain from these systems.
0: What are the biggest challenges facing robot designers today when they're creating robots that must operate around people?
1: Well, um, you know, there are many, many challenges on, on the technology side and on the human side. Uh, one is um, When we think about bringing these systems into our lives. If we think about the success of other AI systems uh, today other machine learning systems. It's highly um, dependent on yeah, the way we structure that systems understanding or learning of our world. And you know, we might think you know, these deep learning techniques are learning on their own, but we structure what they know about the world through painstaking efforts of labeling, for example, data sets. Uh, sometimes we do more than that. We give sort of explicit models of causal relationships that the system uses to uh, bootstrap its learning of the environment and of people. Um, and the, um, you know, what we can give systems today about our everyday world is quite impoverished. So uh, sidewalk delivery robots, you know, they don't really see you uh, as a person, they see you as an obstacle. And that, that might sound okay, because as long as it avoids you, you know, you can go about your business, uh, but it's not actually okay. And to give you a sense of sort of the canary in the coal mine, um, about two years ago, uh, and of course, San Francisco, there were actually so many uh, startups testing sidewalk delivery robots that um, that people felt unsafe. Uh, the elderly, people with disabilities, sort of went to the city and said, "You know, these systems don't understand us. We feel unsafe near them." And you know, why why is that? I mean, the system doesn't understand someone who's moving slow for any reason, pushing a stroller or, or otherwise. Uh, we're not obstacles, and we could never um, we could never interact in our own everyday life by just treating another person as any other you know type of obstacle. And so we don't have these, for example, data sets on you know, social interaction about what makes someone uneasy or what makes someone take a wider berth. And that's just kind of one one example. Uh, we really need to be rethinking um, you know how we design these systems, the data that we collect. Um, and then similarly, we need to be thinking about what's transferable or shareable. Um, uh, when, when you know, if a security guard robot knocks over a toddler in a shopping mall, which is something that happened, <laughs> you probably saw it in the news too, um, that's just as bad as an autonomous vehicle hitting someone on the road, right? That's a, a critical incidence of potential life um, at risk. Um, and so what, You know, any one company can do an analysis and try to patch the issue, uh, try to identify gaps in in the data used to train the system. Um, But um, it's uh, what what can we do to facilitate transfer from one manufacturer to another, from one company to another, uh, to ensure that as we roll these systems out at scale, um, they're safe. We do this in aviation um, we do have systems in place to share information, um, across many different entities, um, industry and government. Um, and so, uh, we need to get started right away to think about how we set up these sort of structures to, um, to get this right in our everyday lives.
0: I've interviewed many robot designers that went to great lengths to make their robots look attractive, approachable, even friendly. But you say that robots don't have to be cute. Why not?
1: Well, um, and again, you know, coming from aviation, um, we often, you know, we often, I often hear people talk about how we need trustable robots, or we need trustable autonomy. Uh, For example, um, in in many, many critical fields, search and rescue, military operations, you know, uh, sometimes people don't want to use the AI or the autonomous system, they don't uh, trust it. And so a key question is, well, how do you engender trust in the system so that people use it? Um, now, a key thing we know about the design of cockpit automation is that, you know, your, your end goal is not actually engendering trust in a system, especially a safety-critical system. Um, you, it's very easy to engender high trust in a system that, that doesn't deserve it. Um, and so, um, to overtrust a system, and that's the result of, for example, many aviation accidents. Um, the key here is to figure out how we design these systems to facilitate calibrated trust in them. So that a person can easily track uh, when a system is behaving as it should when it can be relied upon um, and when uh, it's not when sorry, the, the, uh, the way it's behaving or the information it's providing you is no longer high quality you equally want a person to be able to track that degradation in the performance of that system and know when to reject or intervene with the system um, and uh, personalization of robots—it engenders trust. So if you give a system a female voice, it engenders trust. If you, um, there's many things we can do that are very easy to engender trust. But the question is, ought we to? And and how do we uh, how do we calibrate the way the system interacts with us so that we can calibrate to it as well?
0: Dr. Julie A. Shaw, associate professor of aeronautics and astronautics. Leader of the Interactive Robotics Group of the Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory at MIT. And co-author of What to Expect When You're Expecting Robots. If somebody wants to connect with you, Julie, maybe they want to get a copy of your book. What's the best way they can do that?
1: Um, Well, you can check out my lab's research at interactive.mit.edu, follow me on Twitter, and also uh, track the work of the Schwartzman College of Computing, uh, where where I'm actually Associate Dean of Social and Ethical Responsibilities of Computing, uh, where we're thinking deeply about the intersection of technology um, and society. Sounds
0: great. Thank you so much, Julie. And find more of my interviews right here or at Tonyahall.net.